everybody, good morning and uh, welcome again to Christ Community Chapel. Really glad you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall and those of you tuning in. Uh, glad you've joined us. I've told you before, I love uh, our church. I love the rhythm of our church. And I love that so many of you are part of that rhythm. When I say the, the rhythm of our church, I mean, there are times when we have other people serve us, and then there are times when we serve other people. Uh, it's kind of like breathing. You inhale and you exhale. Even uh, that video of Reengage, we've been looking for a while for a robust marriage ministry that can uh, help a marriage no matter what stage that marriage is in, no matter what state that marriage is in, and I think we found it and we're really excited about it. But the people in the video are people who have gone through a pilot program where they were served and now they're ready to serve others, to be group leaders, and that's the rhythm of the church. It's important to do both. Put yourself in a position to be served. Put yourself in a position to serve. If you haven't found a place to serve yet, let me just mention one opportunity. In the next month, about a thousand international students are going to arrive at Kent State University. And I have no idea what it's like to, live, to leave everything that is familiar and go to some place that is absolutely different. But we have a ministry called International Friendship Connection that connects people like you to a student that will actually help them make this year not so lonely. And it makes sense. I mean, if somebody's going to connect with them, why not a Christian? Why not somebody like you? Right? So uh, if you haven't found a place to serve yet, we have a table in the back or in the atrium uh, with International Friendship Connection. Stop by that table, get some information, and see if that's a place. But make sure you involve yourself in this rhythm of the church. It's the best way to grow. Right? Uh, next Sunday, we have a special guest uh, who will be speaking to us. Uh, it's Abdu Murray. He'll be here with Ravi Zacharias Ministries with the Remind Conference. The Remind Conference is a conference that we are hosting here for high school kids through young adults. And it is a great privilege to host that. We have some of the best Christian thinkers in the world uh, coming here this weekend, Friday and Saturday. And Abdu Murray, uh, who is one of the speakers, is going to be staying for Sunday to speak to us. Oh, and that means there will be no Saturday night service because of the Remind Conference. So if you sometimes vacillate between Sundays and Saturdays, then uh, make sure that you just come Sunday to hear Abdu. Abdu was raised a devoted Muslim, and then he took over about 10 years to be convinced of the, the lordship of Jesus, and it has changed him radically. So uh, make sure you come, bring some friends. Abdu will be great, I promise. All right? All right. Uh, today we finish up our series called Shift, Five Ways God Shapes Us. And the premise is pretty profound. Christianity claims that you can change, not in a small, superficial way, but you can change deep a foundational way where your very identity begins to change. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, Paul says, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and behold, all things have become new. That means if you are tired of who you are or what you have become, 
Jesus Christ has the power to change you. It's been a great series so far. And what I'm hoping to do is have this last message kind of uh, wrap it up and make it all make sense. Uh, We looked at how God uses friends and mentors to change us, how God uses pain and beauty to change us. And this week we look at the source of that power to change us, which is the Holy Spirit, how God uses the Holy Spirit to change us. Those first four, friends and mentors, pain and beauty, all work from the outside in. This is something that works from the inside out. Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bibles, turn to Titus chapter 3. If you have a smartphone, you can turn to it uh, in our app, or you can just wait for it to come up on the screen. I'm going to read the first seven verses of Titus chapter 3. So what it says. Paul says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is God's word, and it's true. I love this passage. It is very rich. Paul is talking to people who have experienced a change, who needed to change. He uses himself, too. He includes himself. He uses the personal pronoun, we. Uh, I hope you notice that. Verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What Paul is saying is we were a mess, and then something happened. A change happened. There's always a progression to change, and there's a progression in this passage. There's a starting point, there's a power, and there's a secret. A starting point, a power, and a secret. Uh, Let's begin with the starting point. Look at verses 3 and 4. I just read verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There is an overarching theme to the Bible. And that overarching theme can be captured in five words. All right, you ready? Here are the five words. Creation, fall, incarnation, redemption, restoration. The whole Bible, five words. All right, creation, fall, incarnation, redemption, restoration. And one of the things that I love about Christianity is those five truths are all over the place if you have eyes to see. And this is what I mean. Let's take the first two words. 
Creation and fall. The idea of creation is that what God created is good. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, after every burst of creation, after every day of God creating, he says the same thing. This is good. This is good. At the end of the last day, he says, this is very good. Right? There is some pristine beauty. It's almost breathtaking that we see day in and day out that you can see if you have eyes to see. And then there's the second truth, which is the fall. Something has gone horribly wrong in our world. And there is a brokenness even in the midst of all that beauty. And there is a brokenness that reaches down into our souls and we are broken. Now, if you want to see that, if you have eyes to see that, you can see both those truths, creation and fall, uh, if you get on social media for about 10 minutes. Get on Facebook for 10 minutes. This is what I want you to do. First five minutes, I want you to just look at those friends that you have who tend to post stuff when they travel. We all have them. Those are friends who will take a picture and say, this is what I'm looking at outside of my hotel room at the beach. These are people who take selfies and say, here I am at the Grand Canyon. Here I am playing in a waterfall. Here I am in the Fiji Islands, you know. And you just, I know everybody hates those people, but They do show you the beauty of creation. It's stuff that you're not experiencing. They're experiencing it. But it's it's unavoidable. There There is this pristine, breathtaking beauty in what God created. First five minutes, that first truth. You can see it on Facebook. The next five minutes on Facebook, I want you to just go to those friends who post political things. Right? And that will show you the truth of the fall. Because when you read those people, you follow those threads, what you'll find is what, every, what everybody's doing wrong, what the Democrats are doing wrong, what the Republicans are doing wrong, what all the problems are, what all the issues are, and it will come out with such hatred and such anger and such vitriol that a lot of us have sworn off social media because we just can't take it anymore. And the reason we can't take it anymore is because the truth of the fall is just screaming at us through social media, right? So those first two truths are so self-evident that you can find them in 10 minutes if you just get on your computer and look through your own friends, right? The next three words, which are incarnation, redemption, restoration, you can find if you see what you deeply hope for in your own soul or a story that captures the attention of the world. Those three words will be all over that story. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the story of the, of the boys' soccer team in Thailand that was, uh, that was in that underwater cave, and they were trapped. And the whole world heard about those kids, 12 kids, ages 11 through 16. Somehow got into this cave, then it filled with water, and they couldn't get out two weeks without food They stayed in that cave until this rescue operation got all together and then went to rescue them, right? Incarnation, redemption, restoration. Incarnation is the movement of love that all of us know instinctively, and if you didn't know it before, you know it as soon as you become a parent. Because as a parent, when you're sitting at your, at your kitchen table and you hear like a noise in another room and one of your kids cries out, you stop what you're doing. There's a threefold movement 
You give up, you go to, you be with them. That's the movement of incarnation. Give up, go to, be with them. When you get to them, you grab them and you hold them and you say, it's okay, I'm here. I have come for you. I have come for you. That's the movement of love. That's incarnation. Redemption is another, another word for saving someone. And then restoration is when you put it back together the way it should be, the way everything should be. Going back to those divers. Oh, listen, I read just this last week about the Australian diver who was in charge of the whole operation. And he said they were, they were prepared to accept casualties up to five. They expected to lose as many as five of the 12 kids. And the fact that they got them all out alive was just astounding. And they did it through incarnation. Because what they realized is they, they couldn't send just instructions to the kids. This is how you get out by, on your own. They couldn't send a manual to them about how they could escape. There was no way that would, that would work. Someone had to go. And so they went. And when that first diver got to those kids, you know what he said, right? He had to say, I'm here, it's okay. I have come for you. The movement of the incarnation. And then one by one, those kids were taken out and they were saved. And that's redemption. And then finally, they were put back with their parents. That's restoration. That's the movement that captured the world's attention. And it captured the world's attention because it is imprinted on every soul. And it's imprinted on yours and on mine. Because what God decided is that it wasn't enough. It wouldn't be enough to send an instruction manual to, of how we could save ourselves. But someone had to come. And so Jesus came, and that's the incarnation, that Jesus was the one who would give up, go to, be with us. When he came for us, he said, it's okay, I'm here. I have come for you. And then it's Jesus who actually saves us, and then we'll talk about restoration in a minute. And this is how he saves us. It says, verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whenever I read the word goodness, when it uh, refers to God, I'm always reminded of a few years ago, I read that um, in order to be fully good, you have to have two types of goodness, and they're very different. And God is both types. But if you're not both types, you're not fully good. One type is justice. Justice is a type of goodness. The other type is mercy. Mercy is a type of goodness. They're like two sides of the same coin. So if you are just, but you are not merciful, you're good, but you're not fully good. If you are merciful, but not just, you are good, but not fully good. God is both justice and mercy. He is fully good. Let me describe what the difference is between justice and mercy. If you have two kids and you take them to get ice cream, and you uh, just buy one ice cream cone, you give it to one of your kids, and you start to walk away. You will not get very far. I don't care how old the other kid is. They will yell. They will cry out. This is unfair, right? Because inside of each of us, we know that there, is, that there should be justice. And it's actually a compliment, by the way, when your child cries out like that, because what they're saying is, I thought you were a good mom, Right? I thought you were a good dad, so I demand justice. Right? That's justice. Mercy is something different. 
Say you go take those two kids to go get ice cream. You get one ice cream cone for the one kid. You hand it to him, and you say, listen, I'm going to get an ice cream cone for your sister. Now, be careful with this. Don't run around, or you could drop it. You go get the other ice cream cone. By the time you give it to your daughter, you look over, and your son is beginning to cry, and you look, and his ice cream cone is empty in that pre-sugar high excitement. He began to run around, and there is, is all the ice cream on the ground. Now, assuming you're not a believer in the two-second rule where you just reach down and grab it and put it on the cone and just say, here, it's yours, right? Assuming you're not that kind of parent, then you have a decision to make, right? You can say justice, right? You have every right to say that. Hey, I was just. I bought you both cones. I told you. I told you not to run around. That's on you. Or you can be merciful. And you can say, that's okay. It's okay, honey, I'll get you another cone. But this is the interesting thing about mercy. Mercy always costs somebody something. Right? So in that instance, it would cost you because you have to buy the other cone. Right? This is what is said here. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. On the cross, of Jesus Christ, you have justice and mercy hit, the full goodness of God. Because Jesus says, I will pay the price that you cannot pay to appease the justice of God so that it's right, but I will extend my mercy to you so that you can be forgiven. Justice and mercy meet at the cross. The starting point for change, for real foundational change, is always the gospel of Jesus. It's always inviting Jesus into your life because until you invite Jesus into your life to save you and you say, you know what, I give you myself, you come in, right? And some of you have been waiting forever and you haven't done it yet. But until you do that, the only power you have to change is your willpower. And if willpower works, you'd be changed already, right? The only power that, this is what will happen, by the way. If you don't invite Jesus into your life, I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to bounce from, from one thing to another thing, looking for an identity, looking for something to make you feel okay. And you will not find something that lasts because the only one who can give you that is Jesus because Jesus has the power to actually change you. All right, so that's the starting point. The second point is the power. And I love this. This is my favorite part of this passage. This is verse 5 where it says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See that word regeneration? That's a a particular Greek word. It's only used two times in the entire New Testament. The word is palagenesia. That's the Greek word. Palagenesia. The Greeks actually used it to describe kind of what they believed happened in the world. They thought the world, uh, the universe kind of went in a cycle. That every once in a while, the entire universe would be burned up and then would restart, regenerate, kind of like a, a forest fire that burns everything down. And then out of the ashes, you see the tender shoots of the, of the new forest beginning to come up. That's what the Greeks thought happened to the entire universe. They called that the palagenesia right, of all things. It's kind of like uh, if you are into astrophysics, it's what some scientists call the oscillating universe theory, right? So that's what the Greeks thought. 
Paul uses that word here to say that there's a power that comes inside of you when you open yourself up to Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes with this power of polygenesia. Right? The other time it's used, and this is where it gets interesting, is in Matthew chapter 19. Peter is, uh, is mentioning to Jesus that they've sacrificed quite a bit to follow him. And Peter resp- or Jesus responds to Peter. Uh, this is at the end of Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 27. It says, Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? In verse 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That phrase where he says, uh, truly I say to you, in the new world, uh, in the New American Standard, it says, at the renewal of all things. In the New International Version, it says, at the regeneration of all things. All three translations are trying to translate that word, polygenesia. Jesus grabs that word from the Greeks, and he says, they have one thing right. It's not cyclical. It won't happen over and over again, but there's going to be a time when all that is broken will be healed. There's going to be a time when all that is wrong will be set right. The palagenesia, and he says when that will happen when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. I want you to imagine the kind of power that it would take to set all things right in this world, to heal all the things that are broken in our world, to set all things right that are wrong in our world. All the generational sin, all the abuse, all the inequity, all the institutional bias, institutional racism, all the violence, every single thing that is wrong with our world, it would have to be like a tsunami of power that would sweep across the world, leaving in its path purity and goodness and love. Be astounding. I love the the trilogy Lord of the Rings, and there's a scene in Lord of the Rings where Sam Gamgee turns to Gandalf, and he's surprised to see Gandalf alive. And he says to Gandalf, I thought you were dead. And then Sam says about himself, I thought I was dead. And then Sam says, will all sad things come untrue? That's the palagenesia, the power to make all sad things come untrue. Astounding. You see it, right? It's only used twice in the entire New Testament. One time Jesus says, at the Palagenesia, there's going to be unleashed a power that will actually transform the entire universe. And all that is wrong will be set right, and all that is broken will be healed. And then Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that same power that will one day restore the entire universe sits inside of you if you are a follower of Jesus, quivering with power to transform and heal and restore you into what you were created to be. Now the question is, 
<laughs> Why isn't it working? Right? It brings me to the last point, which is the secret. I mean, if it's true, that the starting point is the gospel, that God decided that we were so broken that a textbook wouldn't do, that he actually had to send somebody, and Jesus came in the incarnation. He gave up to go to to be with us and to say, I've come for you. And he redeems us. And in the process of that, he puts the Holy Spirit inside of you with the same power, that palagenesia, that will one day restore the entire universe. And it sits in you to restore you. Why aren't you changing faster? Here's why. This is the, uh, the board game Risk, if you've ever played it. People who usually play this have the deep desire to rule the world. In fact, the, uh, the tagline of this is the game of global domination. All right, this is what it looks like. If you open it up, there's a, a board that has uh, a map of the world. And these are continents, and then there are, are countries. And the idea of the game is that you get a certain number of, of armies, kind of, that, and then you deploy those armies. And if you deploy them right and you have a little luck, then you slowly take over other countries. And it can last a long time, but eventually you have a winner, somebody who has taken over the entire world, right? In some ways, uh, your life, your heart is like this map where all these, you know, and risks, they have all these different countries. In your heart, you have all these different areas of your life. You have your, your friendships, your relationships, your family, you have your hobbies, you have your career, you have your job, you have your, your money, you have your sexuality. Um, there are all kinds of parts of you, right? And the way most people work with Jesus is that we give him certain countries that we think are in trouble. And we say to him, listen, I want you to sit on your glorious throne in this country. Like if you're having trouble with your relationships, God, I'm, I'm really messing up with relationships. I want you to sit on your glorious throne and heal my relationships. Or you're having trouble with your family and you say, Lord, I want you to sit on your glorious throne in my family. But then there are other countries that we keep off away from Jesus. So Jesus looks at us and he says, well, what about your money? And we go, oh, listen, I got that one. I don't need you to sit on your glorious throne there because I'm running that one pretty well myself. What about your sexuality? Uh, that's one where I'm going to make the decisions about my sexuality, not you. What about your enemies? Well, I make decisions about how I treat them, not you. See, we piecemeal Jesus. And that's why it doesn't really work. And the reason it doesn't work is because in some ways you are like risk, in some ways you aren't. I mean, risk is all these different countries, and that's what I've used, but in you, inside of you, you're so integrated that you have no idea how one thing is connected to another thing inside of you. I, I was uh, laying with my wife uh, not too long ago, and she, her head was laying here. We were just kind of sitting like this. And uh, her head was here for a while, and all of a sudden I realized that this hand had gone numb. And I was going, huh. It's weird because I would expect this hand to go numb because she was on this side. And if you're a doctor, I'm sure you can explain that to me. But it just struck me as strange because I didn't know that was connected. Like, that's the way you are. What, what do you want Jesus to really do for you? You want him to change your self-image? You want him to change your confidence? You want him to change your anxiety, your fear? You want him to change how much love you have, how much joy you have? 
you have no idea what's that, what that's connected to. And so the secret, if you're really going to change, is this. Total surrender. Total surrender. That's the only way it works, where you, where you say to Jesus, listen, I'm going to open up everything to you. And every country that I've kept from you and every part of my life that I've kept from you and I've said, this is mine, I give to you. Every time you come in here and you hear a sermon and it pings you and you feel that little bit of guilt, but if you go home and you don't think about it anymore, you feel better, don't do that. Every time you read scripture and you hear it saying something about it, an area of your life that you're withhold, you need to say, I will surrender that to you. Sit on your glorious throne here. This is what's true. Christianity makes an outrageous claim. You can change. I mean, radically, deeply. If you are tired of who you are, if you are tired of what you have become, Jesus Christ has the power to change you. But this way it happens. There's a starting point. You will not change until you open your heart to Jesus and you say to him, listen, I need you to be my savior. Will you come in and save me? And then there's a power that comes inside of you, scripture says. The polygenesia, the same power that God is going to use to restore all the universe, to heal all that is broken, to set right all that is wrong, sits inside of you, quivering, waiting to be unleashed into your life. And then there's that time of surrender, the secret, where you begin to surrender piece by piece to Jesus until he reigns on his glorious throne in every area of your life. And to the degree that he reigns on his glorious throne in your life is the the degree you will be a new creation. Old things will be passed away. And behold, all things become new. Transformed. 2018. Through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you, and I am amazed, always. Whenever I I think about uh, the incarnation, redemption, restoration, I'm amazed that you would love us so much that you would go through that movement to give up, go to be with us. And you have said to each one of us, I have come for you. And then you paid the price for our redemption so that the justice of God could be met, And we could receive mercy. And then you gave us the Holy Spirit. The polygenesia that will one day transform the entire universe. It sits inside of each one of us, quivering, waiting to restore us. I pray that you'd help every one of us, help me, to surrender completely to you every area of my life so that you may reign on your glorious throne. And that we will change into what you created us to be, what we long to be deep down, and what the world needs us to be. Thanks. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.